Baltimore. What a nice, hot human. <laughs> it's all we can complain about around here. It really is. Nothing else is going wrong in the world. So, I mean, like, I know. <laughs> the worst thing going on right now is the weather. It's so hot. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, it's been hot. I've been moving because you bought a house, I bought a house, which is crazy. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny cause my mom went to like a school event recently. Um, cause for some reason we're having events now. Um, and what the hell? I don't even understand. I know. And she was telling some of the other teachers about it and they're like, what? And she was like, yeah, Katie bought a house. They're like, why? Well, I haven't seen it on Facebook. And she's like, she just didn't post it yet. Like, it yeah. doesn't mean it didn't happen. Like, <laughs> which I kind of like. Like, sometimes I like to sit on things for a mm-hmm. bit. Um, as we learned from my engagement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sneaky son of a bitch. <laughs> I hate you. But, but yeah, so it's been good. Um, pretty crazy. But, but You're yeah. a full-fledged grown-up. I am. It does feel very weird. Um, I, when you can't get married because of COVID-19, I know. <laughs> you buy, buy a house. <laughs> And I was like, I'm a lunatic. <laughs> I mean, did we ever dispute that? No. Okay. <laughs> good, good, good. But we're not here to talk about real estate we and are. weather. We're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. Mm-hmm. And when I have dementia, I'm going to be saying <laughs> that <laughs> over and Just over. you in a nursing home. Women have nuance. <laughs> the nurses will be like, we know Miss Allie. <laughs> This is the notebook. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, and that's another thing. We're probably on the road to dementia because we're drinking the entire time. Really? We have cocktails to pair with each woman. Tonight we have bonus beer. We have a lovely beer. Tell us about it, Allie. It has a sugar skull on front. And producer bought it when I said we were running out. Mm. But it. Like it says, it's a lager with salt and lime added, which means it's a margarita beer. Right. It's, <laughs> it's a just... limerita. <laughs> Cerveza. <laughs> we'll have to take a picture of the pretty front because it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love a good sugar skull. I just love a good like beer label. Yeah. There are some that are like too intense. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And they're like unattractive to me. Right. But this is good. Um, but yeah, we're drinking the entire time. And also we got our research from the same place that everyone does. The internet. And the internet's wrong. The internet is wrong all the time. I literally today posted our episode photo and put the completely wrong person on the <laughs> Doesn't matter. No one cares. It's a lady who was in a painting with red hair. She so. has red hair. She looks like Merida, Disney princess. Exactly. Same person as Lizzie Siddell. Siddell? Siddle. Siddell. I so, still can't get sorry, it. Charles. Um, but, <laughs> but now we're going to do two new women. We're going to do two new women. Hopefully we'll post the correct photos. Does the, is there even a person, a photo of your person? There is no photos of my person. Perfect. It's, so it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Just killing it two weeks in a row. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> But the thing is, we haven't posted the photos yet for this episode. Right. Those come on like Monday after the thing. So and if you didn't see our Cocktail Tuesday post, you don't know what these women look like. And you're doing things. You're busy. You're what are we? <laughs> what are we saying people are doing this week? You're beating bracelets. You started a jewelry line. You, yeah, right. Exactly. And you're busy. So so you're not going to have your jewelry business fail. We're going to describe what these women look like. <laughs> We're going to get a little 
Physical, physical. <laughs> well, I feel like I'm dying. <laughs> is it so hot? <laughs> we also, this is our second recording of tonight. And I, <laughs> so anyways, Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing Buffalo Calf Road Woman. Okay. And there are no photos of her at all in existence. There are two ledger book drawings um, that look like a six-year-old did them, but I don't think it was. So I'm sorry if I'm insulting the person who did that. That was Lewis of Lewis and Clark. <laughs> I don't think it was. <laughs> so there's one of her saving her brother and one of her like riding into battle with her brother or husband. Um, so what I did for this physical was look up her tribe, which mm. was the tribe of the Great Plains, the Cheyenne Indians, and Native Americans. I know I'm going to be doing that a lot because all the sources, yeah, it, yeah, based on when they were published, they would say American Indian or Native American or just plain old Indian. So yeah. her Native American tribe um, was the Cheyenne tribe, and Cheyenne women wore tanned deer or buffalo hides. They were beautifully decorated with paint and porcupine quills and beadwork, and usually they would be in the shape of like specific things or symbols on their clothing that like meant something in life their dresses were often knee length and then they wore like the tight leggings underneath to keep them warm because they're up in like the montana region the great Mm -hmm. plains um and they often wore their hair in two thick braids like coming down the sides okay so that's what cheyenne women typically wore okay but i don't know what buffalo calf road looked like so sorry okay what does your person look like? So I am doing Marie Laveau, um, the voodoo queen of New Orleans, mm-hmm. another person who there's technically no portraits of. Really? Mm-hmm. So Marie was notoriously one of the most beautiful women of New Orleans. Hmm. She had light skin, an oval face, dark eyes, petite but full lips. She wore a long blue skirt around town that billowed out around her as she proudly strutted through the streets of New Orleans. She always had her hair tied up in a colorful tignon with her dark curls peeking out, which we will find out was a big fuck you to the white patriarchy. She wore big hoop earrings, lots of bracelets, and could sometimes be seen with a snake wrapped around her, according to some portraits. But Marie refused to sit for any type of portrait, so it's likely that the paintings we have of her are either her daughter, Marie II, or just what people kind of thought she looked like. Like from memory? Yeah. So very interesting. This is like one of the first physicals where like... No photos. There's really no like hardcore evidence on both of our women that's so cool very fun already seeing the just first similarities (laughs) oh my gosh so do you want to know what you're drinking i do okay so this is a take on the montana which is a cocktail named after a state (laughs) and uh what i did was kind of mix up the amounts and exactly what's in it but in general it's one ounce of brandy one ounce of dry vermouth and one ounce of port shaken over ice and then you pour it in a martini glass no ice okay off the rocks off the rocks so let's see how it is it's very full of alcohol Mm -hmm. it's what it like it tastes a lot like maple syrup to me yeah like a like but um but not sweet like it just has like a mapley like aftertaste i think this port too is standing out Yes, like oh, over the, port, the absolutely over the I used um cognac like for brandy yeah um, and it was like 
a bottle of port that was five ninety nine, and you can taste it. I love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love when you can really tell a cheap liquor. Like mm-hmm. um, for the Halloween party one year, I bought two bottles of champagne to basically play Edward Forty Hands with myself <laughs> that no one asked me to do because um, I was a flapper. And they were like $4 bottles of big champagne. And it tasted disgusting. I didn't even know champagne could taste bad. Bad champagne is awful. It was really bad. And I, it was a mess. And the fact that we're like semi-professional drinkers I now, know. like you can really taste bad alcohol. You can. I used to not be able to. It just all tasted bad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm a homeowner. And let me tell you, <laughs> I'm really, really this cool. This brandy is not up to snuff. <laughs> just kidding. This, I think it tastes really good. Okay. I, like it. I like it too. It's just not sweet. This is not for a newcomer to the uh, cocktail game. No. 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 It also like, I feel like it took everything in us not to be like, she would just put lemon juice in just it. Put like, lemon juice. Just put lemon juice. It's so good. <laughs> now, this has to be true to form. Okay. So what do you know about Buffalo Calf Road Woman? <sighs> Nothing. Okay. Um, I mean, literally just from your description, I know that she's a Cheyenne woman from Montana. Um, and I know that, yep, yeah, she was Native American. And I don't know what she did. I don't know why we know her name. So I'm super excited to to figure that out. Yeah. The the coolest part of her story comes near like the end of her life. Okay. So that'll be towards the end of the story. But like a lot of her story is just like the history of the Native American people. Yeah. And we did um several or a couple of Native American women during November during Native American yes. like Heritage Month. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, we put on the season six docket. And I'm ready to dig deep Excellent. into American history. Let's do it. Because I'm not teaching anymore. So yeah. <laughs> I may as well use my knowledge somewhere. <laughs> so source material. There is nothing from her perspective at oh. all. The Native American people didn't keep diaries or letters. There's an oral tradition of handing things down. Um, there was a guy named Dr. Thomas Marquis, I think is how you say his last name. And he interviewed a lot of people to write a book in like the 1920s is when he interviewed people who actually lived at the same time as her. Okay. So he interviewed a woman named Kate Bighead and a woman named Iron Teeth. And I'm going to quote very like those would be our names. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Kate Bighorn and Iron Teeth. I love it. I just pointed at each of us. Wait, Bighorn? Oh, I thought you said Big Head. Oh, it is. Is it Big Head? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I'm going to quote them later, and that's where it comes from. Like, this man went and got, like, firsthand interviews with people who were alive during the battles of Little Bighorn. Okay. Um, There's another woman who published a book. Her name was mary sandoz and she did a similar thing where she got interviews so that's really where we get a lot of this source material and then also there were men that fought alongside buffalo calf road woman and a lot of them didn't mention her in their oral tradition but a man named wooden leg did and he's been quoted a couple times talking about her so Buffalo Calf Road Woman, sometimes called Buffalo Calf Trail Woman. And sometimes I might just call her Buffalo Calf Road because I continuing to say woman is just like, yeah, yeah. We, she's female. We understand. Right. Um, she was born around 1844 in the interior plains. Okay. And that's pretty much the flyover states. 
So sorry if you live there. Um, <laughs> this is still pre-Civil War, but we're on the precipice. So it's kind of a weird time because the states east of the Mississippi River and like a couple on the other side are, you know, fully formed, set up and functioning. And then everything out west is like the true Wild West. Texas is fighting battles with Mexico and they're making their own republic. California is finding some gold. You know, we're trying to make railroads from ocean to ocean. Mm -hmm. Like that the west is just like wild still and not wild. Like the people who live there are savages. Like they aren't official states. Right. I mean by wild. So obviously one of the largest groups to suffer in that area during this time were the Native American people. Mm-hmm. Buffalo Calf Road Woman was sometimes called Brave Woman, but I wanted to bring up like the entomology of her name. I couldn't find a lot, but I could find other people that had buffalo in their Native American name was really important because it was seen as almost a spiritual or divine animal. So um, it could just see like the level of her is pretty important. Yeah. We know a couple of things for sure. Her brother was a chief. His name was Chief Comes in Sight. And she had two children. And she was married to a man named Black Coyote. Okay. So that's like the basic makeup of her family. In Cheyenne history, it was uncommon for women to be warriors. Mm. And that is what she's going to be. So I don't want to make you think like, oh, everybody's doing this. Right. Um, she w- it was still not be common for her to go and do the things that she does. Okay. The biggest years in her life, though, don't start in the 1840s when she's young. They start when she's, quote unquote, middle aged. The biggest three years of her life are after the Civil War, 10 years after the Civil War, from 1876 to 1879. At that point, every inch of the continent of the United States is either a state or a territory. And the map looks almost identical to the way it does today. Okay. Minus Alaska and Hawaii. Okay. Um, one requirement though, to become a state was how many people you had per square mile. That's one of the reasons. Really? Yeah. It's one of the reasons the States out West are so big and square because they were just like, we got to make this a state. So we got to say all these people live here, but they weren't living there. They were, but that's why they had to make them so big. Okay. You know what I mean? Like you needed a certain number of people to officially become a state. So like Colorado is just massive, you know, whereas on the East coast, we just like, okay, well. We'll just cut Maryland up around <laughs> the Appalachian Mountains. And it's just I do feel matter. like the East Coast was cut up with like a toddler with safety scissors. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. It really is. <laughs> There's a show called like How States Are Shaped. Uh-huh. And I would really like to watch it. It's good. Jake and I have watched it. Really? Okay. <laughs> Producer, like, I mean. Obviously there are some things like the Chesapeake Bay really cuts up into yeah. us. Um, really invades our privacy. So right, but what's going on with Michigan? <laughs> the mitten? Yeah, but there's the two halves. Why? What? Has, why hasn't? Is that? Yeah, that's it. Michigan. There's like two halves on either side of the. Um, I thought Michigan was the mitten. Yeah, but then there's another half on the top. No. Yes, there is, and Wisconsin. <laughs> Take it. Just take it. Take it. If you have to get a boat to the other type, if you can't drive to the other part of your state in your own state, looking at you, Hawaii. Um, (laughs) And Alaska. We took you, and I'm deeply sorry about that. And Assateague Island. (laughs) That's true. Who am I to judge? Bring the set the ponies free. <laughs> no they, one knows what we're talking about. <laughs> they are free, the ponies. I think, right? I guess that's the whole point of that island. 
If anyone doesn't know, Maryland has a whole island called Assateague Island where ponies literally roam free on the beach. But also, we split it with Virginia, and the Do other half really? of the, it's Assateague and Chincoteague. And Chincoteague. They're okay. half and half. It's split. Okay, because I did have a book when I was a child called Misty of Chincoteague. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone wants knows, to get that, knows the tome. <laughs> um. Oh man! But yeah, that's the. I mean. Lots of states have islands <laughs> with ponies, though. Not no, not many. with ponies. No ponies. Yes, and ponies were like native to the United States. Horses are not. Horses were brought. Wait, what's here. the difference between horses and ponies? Ponies are little. It's a different species. What? <laughs> I thought ponies were just cute names for horses. Mora is screaming at me right now because she bred miniature horses, so she, she, no, 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 she no, no, knows no. about it. That's like saying gorillas and chimpanzees and, and are the same. Mora didn't breed miniature horses. <laughs> yes, she, did. she hung out with them and had them and rode them. She created didn't ride them. them. She put a carriage <laughs> on the say, back. You can't ride them. In- <laughs> <laughs> That's their whole point. And I don't know if the miniature horses were involved. In- she would show miniature <laughs> horses at state fairs. Mora, I swear to God, I know things about your life. <laughs> <laughs> she rides miniature horses to the mall every day that's what happens to Mora. oh my god okay during these three years of her life these 1870 years uh you know a hundred years before bell bottoms is when that's how we mark time <laughs> it's when the pioneers the miners and the u.s army are determined to colonize the land so, duh. They're like, we're going to take it. <laughs> we want it. We're it's great. <laughs> so Montana, Idaho, and the Dakotas are like up there from like the tippy top of Texas down to Oklahoma. Like the colonizers, they're coming in. They're like ready for it. Mm-hmm. So she's part of a group of people who stood up against them, specifically the Sioux, the Cheyenne, the Lakota, and the Arapaho, I think is how you say it. Tribes are not having it. So in 1876, they decide they're going to fight back to try to keep their land. There are two battles that she is specifically cited as being a part of. One is the Battle of Rosebud, and one is the very famous Battle of Little Bighorn, okay. um, where they showed the extreme strength of the Native American people and won both of those battles, but ultimately they weren't strong enough to beat the federal government. And I'll go more in detail uh, in a bit. So... For four for years in these territories, American settlers would trespass and then the Native Americans would fight back with these attacks and it would cause bad blood. And then there would be like settlers who came in and would massacre peaceful tribes and that would cause like bad blood. So there's just like huge tension and mistrust all over the Great Plains. So in 1864, the Lakota chief named red cloud who she's not lakota she's cheyenne but the red cloud the chief of the lakota decisively defeats the u.s forces in a battle to close the bozeman trail which like bozeman montana i know that my family lives there uh yeah i know you and producer went on like a lover's journey (laughs) montana (laughs) fabulous definitely not a lover's journey (laughs) a sibling sibling love vacay um (laughs) my parents were like you're a girl and you want to go to medical school let's send you on a trip together um you're a girl and comma you other person producer want to go to medical school yes (laughs) yes yes i did not want to go to medical school no thank you very much um bless you to those who do it's a terrible thing um so 
But uh, but yeah, we went and it was amazing. Uh, highly recommend Montana and Wyoming as a vacay. Um, as a person who grew up in the city, I, I literally was just in awe of the mountains. It's I, a mountain. I, 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 that was literally me the whole time. I'm like, but we haven't stopped looking at the mountains yet. And they're like, yeah. It's the Rocky Mountains. We're in the Rocky Mountains, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, great trip. Um, I was slightly too young to really appreciate the food and everything, so yeah. fuck me. But um, It's not Appalachia but or it's anything. great. <laughs> um, yeah, and my cousin is a master chef, so it was just good times all around. And mm-hmm. I got to ride a horse. I got to ride a pony on the mountain. <laughs> Maybe a horse this time. It was, it was probably a horse. Probably a horse. Ponies native, horses not. Oh, my God. <laughs> This is where someone needs to, to write me a real long email about ponies and horses because I I cannot grasp it. Mora, do it. Please tell us about horses. Also, there was also there was a really funny story about me and Mora riding ponies and horses. So we were <laughs> in this like upper part of India in the mountains, like near the Himalayas, and we decided to take a horse ride out into the wilderness. Um, and they were like, have you ridden horses? And I said, no, dear God, no. And Maura was like, yeah, I'm a master horse rider. I'm an equestrian. I'm an equestrian. And so <laughs> there's this fantastic picture. They're like, all right, well, we'll give you the big boy, Maura. And Maura is much tinier than me. <laughs> and they gave me the little pony. And so there's this picture where, like, my feet are, like, touching the ground <laughs> on this horse. And Maura's on this giant steed. <laughs> She's on a stallion. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. Oh, God. Okay. I'll post that photo of me and Maura because it's really funny. Is it like when, you, when you're going across monkey bars in a playground, but your feet are clearly on the ground? Yeah, because yeah. you're an adult. <laughs> um. <laughs> I was I was an adult riding a child pony. <laughs> I was at the state fair. We weren't even in India, actually. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That's enough of personal corner. Okay. So Lakota chief defeats the U.S. forces, and they actually negotiate a treaty, which gets the Native American people this huge reserved section of land between the Black Hills and the Bighorn Mountains, and it included, like, the Powder River country, so there's enough Native, like, natural resources and mm-hmm. space for all these different tribes who are pretty much getting along. Like, you can't, like, all the tribes aren't the same. Not everybody's going to get along, but yeah. it's, like, pretty much we're sharing this land. It's fine. And in the document, it gives the Native Americans total use of the occupied land like we're not going to touch it mm-hmm. 10 years after this was signed civil war is over u.s government sent the great civil war general general george armstrong custer who we is very custer. famous yeah yes general custer and he uh had you know four years before led a massacre against native american people so they're already not down for him right they're but- like Fuck Custer. Right. We don't like him, but he's sent to like explore the mountains and okay. see what's going on up there. Well, he finds gold. <laughs> Damn him and his luck. Exactly. It's like when you get that parking spot right in front of the movie theater. Mm. That's gold. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I'm too scared to even approach the front of the movie theater. I always. You don't go like... down the center in the avenue. No. I don't <laughs> either. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Producer does it every time and always gets a spot. I, I can't even drive. If on that's the av- not white privilege. I-, <laughs> I can't even drive on like the avenue in Hamden. I refuse. I haven't driven on 36th Street in years. Really? Never. Are you kidding me? It's I'm obsessed crazy. with 36th Street. Ugh, you also have to like back and all this. Ba- no. I'm a fantastic parallel parker. 
not good at backing into a space. Well, you don't like to inconvenience people. So if you have to stop and they have to back up and you have to back in. That's true. I went to dinner one time with this older couple who were customers of mine at my restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) They wanted to take me out to dinner, which was this crazy thing. And then we went out to dinner in Hamden and they pulled a Yui in the middle of the avenue in Hamden, which is a very small street. And she was like, we're getting crazy. And I was like, oh, my God, Jen. Don't we also do could have walked here from your house. Okay. It's perfect. God, I am too personal. No, today. I love it. I, I think people need to know more about you. So let's just keep them flowing. That's true. I'm a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I haven't even talked about Buffalo Road Gap. <laughs> oh, I haven't even gotten to her. Well, I mean, we're kind of there. Okay. okay. Anyway. So the government tries to buy the land to their credit from the Lakota. I'm sure they offered them not the right amount of money uh and made them try to sign something that right, wasn't good it's like a song and a hay penny and they're like right. this is a really good deal it's really good you should take it um but they wouldn't the lakota were like no like this is the land you gave us we want this land like we're going to keep it for our people so the u.s military is fearing conflict as they want to go in and get the gold so they order every native american on the land down to this southern sioux reservation in 18 by 1876 they're like you have two years to get all your people off this land and down there after that we're going to use force to remove you so they needed the land though to hunt and as reservations got more and more packed the reservations were usually on shitty land with nothing for the people so everybody's in a catch-22 they're like either i go to the reservation and starve to death or i stay on the land and get attacked by the federal government like i don't have a choice so the literal audacity of white (laughs) men throughout the ages is unbelievable It, it really is like you can leave now thanks yeah Hey, I'm sorry. Did you not get our RSVP? We're coming here to take all your land. Yeah. I, I'm bringing Must have guests. got lost in the mail. <laughs> I'm bringing 500 <laughs> guests to your <laughs> wedding. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. It's what Thanksgiving was. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Woo. Okay. So, Buffalo Cap Road made her choice. She's going to not go to the reservation. She's going to stay and fight. Stand. Your ground. Yes, Love girl. It. So the two years of agreed upon time rolls around. Several hundred Cheyenne and Lakota people are camped out on the Powder River Valley and like the Little Bighorn Valley. And Buffalo Calf Road Woman has two children. She's got her brother. She's got her husband. They're all kind of living there. They're congregating in one spot because the U.S. military has been slowly pushing them back. For example, General Crooks, who's another man, burned down a Cheyenne village like earlier that year. So instead of letting that happen again, when they saw General Crook coming, they just attack him ahead. They're like, we're going to be on the offensive this time. So they don't. (laughs) burn us down Mm -hmm. and that was at rosebud on june 17th so we're actually coming up on that anniversary my gosh like like right now next couple weeks it is and the cheyenne and lakota people joined together under chief crazy horse that who is a famous native american name in our country yeah the women would typically move off to the side and get their children to safety and wait but buffalo calf road sees a soldier shoot chief comes in sight which is her brother and he's off of his horse she doesn't know if he's shot or if if his horse was just shot but he's on the ground and everybody else is on horses with guns the native americans have guns the u.s army has guns and they're just like fighting 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 so sucks either way so she jumps on her pony horse whatever (laughs) (laughs) rides 
I'm pretty sure it was Pony. (laughs) Rode into the battle amidst like a shower of bullets and collects her brother, helps him and like clings him to her horse and carries him away to safety, which I want to say two things here. Both sides had guns and men are really fucking heavy. They are. Have you ever tried to pick up dead weight? Even like a a child's dead weight is hard to carry. So she gets her brother who's potentially shot off the ground onto her pony horse and then goes away to save the chief. Oh my gosh, it's like some Disney Mulan shit. It is. And the thing is, they were losing. And then the Native Americans rally around this courageous act and win <gasps> the fucking battle. Let me tell you, the spirit is a tangible force. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that, like, there's been, like, some stuff about, like, you know, like, armies who, like, don't care, like, Mm. don't win. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever. Like, the battle. Because if you're not emotionally invested, like, and that's the thing, too. I'm sure they were because their land was being taken from them. But, like, having, like, a rallying point, point, I think, is so important. Well, I mean, you I mean, you played sports. You know how it is when, like, the first play of the game goes really, really wrong. And then you just don't have the positive spirit to win the game. Yeah. It's just gone. You have to get the spirit on your side. So they did. Um, and this becomes a really popular battle. And actually, the Cheyenne people named the Battle of Rosebud the fight where the girl saved her brother. <gasps> It's like named after her. That's so cool. In their oral tradition. And it's one of the pictures that was drawn of her in the ledger is her saving her brother on a horse. Mm. And some people even start calling her Brave Woman instead of Buffalo Calf Road. So eight days later, Custer's men attacks the families at Little Bighorn. Now, I know in my history books as a child, I was taught about the Battle of Little Bighorn and the Native Americans were taught to me as the villains because yeah. they won that battle. Yeah. And I, I have always been like kind of sketchy about the way it was taught. Yeah. I don't know if that was just my perception at that time because I was young and dumb or yeah. like if that's actually how people said it to me. But because the Native Americans won, I was like, oh, they were the bad guys. Yeah. Um, so again, most women fled with their children to safety. <laughs> Some would ride in to battle the edges and sing songs. And um, many watched from the sidelines and would like collect the dead right afterwards. So this is where we get this oral tradition that Dr. Thomas B. Marquis, he wrote a book called Custard on Little Bighorn. Um, And I think he did the interviews in 1922 maybe, but then his book came out in 1967. So when he did the interviews, there were he interviewed people who were actually at the battle, like native American people who were at the battle, who saw it happen. So here's an eyewitness. This is a woman, native American, um, Kate Bighead. Um, most of the women looking at the battle stayed out of the reaches of the bullets as I did, but there was one woman who went close in at times. Her name was Calf Road Woman. She had a six-shooter with bullets and powder. She fired many shots at soldiers. She was the only woman there who had a gun. Wow. So that's like a direct quote from a woman, a Native American woman who eyewitness saw this battle. We further learn that she stayed on her pony the entire time, and not far from her were her husband and brother also fighting in this. That woman in this book also 
recount that Buffalo Road Woman was about to give her pony to a young man warrior who lost his. But then the woman from the sideline yelled like, we've got plenty of ponies just down the river with the women. So she grabbed the guy, put him behind her on her pony and goes to get him another Mm. one so that they could both ride into battle together. So what we know of the Battle of Little Bighorn is that the Native American people won, just like in the Battle of Rosebud. They quickly overcame the American forces and General Custer died. More on that later. Earmark General Custer dying for later. Okay. He died at the Battle of Little Bighorn. Yes. Okay. Because I remember there's a scene in the Rural Tenenbaums where Owen Wilson's character is like, <laughs> I wrote a book. We know that Custer died at Little Bighorn, but... What if he didn't? (laughs) What a great movie. Well, he did. (laughs) Okay, so after the victory, this is where her life starts to get, like, wild. This is, like, the meat of the story. Okay. And then after she dies, the last 20 years has been the coolest part of her life. And I mean present day, our 20 years. Okay. But this is when her life gets crazy. So after the victory... They, the U.S. Army redoubles their effort. They're like, okay, we can't send out the shitty military. We got to send out the real ones. Mm -hmm. And they, there's 1,200 Cheyenne people living in the hills. And um, many of them eluded capture for lots of months. But then a Cheyenne village was attacked and burned down. And these are semi-nomadic people. So they use teepees, not like wigwams or longhouses. So if your village is burned down, it's, everything that you carry with you right there's nothing for you to take so they burn it down there's no blankets there's no food there's no clothing and it's like montana in like the winter so 11 of their babies 10 months out of the year yeah the whole year yeah and it's dark and it's freezing cold and you have no clothes or house 11 of their babies freeze to death very quickly um so it's not going very well so one by one the native americans begin to surrender but um, despite being pregnant, Buffalo Calf Road Woman refuses to surrender. She's also caring for her other child because she's already had one. Um, she's a holdout with another like 30 Cheyenne people. That was a really, really hard winter. She birthed her second child. But they do finally surrender when they are promised some land of their own. But that land wasn't given to them, even though they promised it. They were sent to the reserve in Oklahoma reservation in Oklahoma troops force marched them and several other Cheyenne people 1,500 miles to southern quote-unquote Indian territory and imprison them in Fort Reno about 15 die in route and many die of malaria and exhaustion Mm -hmm. and this really sucks it's an unfamiliar climate they don't know the terrain there's it's a different native american territory they don't know the languages of the other native american groups there's diseases and plant life that they know nothing about so in 1878 in the middle of the night 300 cheyenne people who are imprisoned here led by dull knife and little wolf escape and they try to go home so Buffalo Calf Road Woman's like, hell yeah, I'm going with this group of 300. So they escape and they break out. It's her. It's her husband, her two kids. They're all trying to walk 1,500 miles back to their house. Um, 
as they go north, the group starts to split up, though, over disagreements. Where do we go? What do we do? Right. And if you can imagine, there's this group of people, and some of the people imprisoned were chiefs. So it's like, who's actually in charge? Yeah, because right? right now you're in, like, no man's land yeah. in terms of, like, even just, like, your personal relations with each other. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I hate the idea that, like, you know, because I'm sure the, I- the idea of the white man was, like, they're all, like, Indians, so, like, we'll just put them all together. And it's like, yeah. we are completely different. Right. Like, you cannot just lump us all into one group like what the fuck it's why the continent of africa is so fucked exactly if europeans set up the countries it's the the it's not gonna work no it's not like mm, mm. so they're having these disagreements doll knife and his crew went to this place called red cloud like the lakota village believing that they would find shelter and food Mm -hmm. the army captures them imprisons them in fort robinson demands they return south there's a horrible like escape attempt. There's a massacre, men, women, children, lots of people dead. Mm. The other group went under Chief Little Wolf and Buffalo Calf Road Woman was with them. And we know that because of the book by Mary Sandoz, where um, it was quoted by an eyewitness that she had a gun in her hand ready and a baby tied securely to her back. Damn. Yeah, she's fucking really cool. So... That crew was able to hide in the Nebraska sand hills for a while. But unfortunately, Black Coyote, her husband, is like going into a deep madness. Mm. He starts like flying into fits of rage and hostility and brandishing a gun. And he was stealing. And when the chief confronts him, they get in an altercation and her husband kills the chief in an argument. So they get banished from this group of Native Americans because her husband just killed the chief. It's like, what are we going to do? So they're now separate from this other group of Native Americans. But they, the, the group of Native Americans gets captured right after they get banished. So they're like, oh, okay. shit, this is good. Yeah. So just like that, there's a little crew, her husband, her kids, a couple of other dudes. Her husband couldn't keep it together, though. He's in the woods and he ambushes two U.S. soldiers fixing telegraph lines and just like ambushes and kills them. And then soldiers from a nearby fort hunt them down and kill them. Oh, shit. Eventually, um, and like kill some of them, there's like a fight. But eventually, after being pursued for five days and fighting back, Buffalo Calf Road woman. And the whole little group is taken to a fort. They're completely captured. They're taken to Miles City, Montana, where the men were tried for murder for killing the U.S. soldiers and scheduled to be hanged in May. While Buffalo Calf Road woman's husband was in prison, she caught what was called the white man's cough, which is diphtheria, and died. So this is where she dies. Mm -hmm. But there is more to this story. When her husband hears about this, and I only saw this in one source, when her husband hears about this, he apparently hangs himself in prison (gasps) before he's scheduled to be hung because he's just so sad that his wife is dead because they got brought to this city. Um, She's most likely buried in the hills of Montana in what's now called Miles City. But her legacy is the most interesting part about her. Each January since 1999, the Cheyenne runners participate in a 400-mile run from Fort Robinson, Nebraska to Northern Cheyenne Reservation in honor of the ancestors of their people. Hold on. Wait. 
this happens every year every year 400 miles yeah that's amazing it is it's so cool and they do it just to honor the Cheyenne people who were like and the Lakota people who were like marched across that area and it's just like you know so many of our people died on this march like we're gonna go and we're just gonna run it every year and that's happened since 1999 but in 2005 the Northern Cheyenne broke their silence of over a hundred years about the Battle of Little Bighorn. They had always feared retaliation from the U.S. federal government about killing General Custer. So their chiefs told them, um, and this is a direct quote from Frank Rolland, who is a Cheyenne elder, The chief said to keep a vow of silence for 100 summers. 100 summers have now passed and we're breaking our silence. This was done publicly recounting the Cheyenne history in an oral tradition. The tribal stories told of how it was Buffalo calf woman that knocked General Custard off of his horse. No. Leading to him dying in battle. It was a female fighter. The only female fighter who knocked Custer off of his horse and left him vulnerable and may have been the one that killed him. That is such a game changer to the story. It's so cool. Also, I can't even keep a secret for like an hour. (laughs) A hundred years. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. I know. Okay. Okay. It's great. And then in 2017, Wallace Nearcomb, who is the director of tribal services for the Northern Cheyenne, mentioned that Buffalo Calf Woman was an excellent markswoman, like great with the mm. gun, which would corroborate, 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 corroborate. <laughs> <laughs> I would corroborate the story of her having a six shooter from the book back in 1967. Yes. But Wallace says that while she had a six-shooter, it was actually a club-like object that she used to knock Custard off of his horse, not Mm. a gun. And what we do know from Wallace is that after the battle, usually what they did is the women from the tribe would walk around, and the men would walk around the battlefield, namely the women, and they would go from soldier to soldier and quote-unquote finish them off and take their things, their weapons, their money, anything they could possibly need. And um, two days after the Battle of Little Bighorn, the U.S. Army, like, scouting recovery team found Custer's body um, with two gunshot wounds and naked. So they had taken his stuff and shot him twice after he had been knocked off his horse. They don't know which one was fatal. They don't know which one came first. Okay. Because of all this... She has become the subject of a prize-winning novel called Buffalo Calf Road Woman, the story of a warrior of Little Bighorn. She may have died in May 1879 at the age of 35 in Montana, but she was a Native American war heroine. Mm. She did not live to see, unfortunately, only five years after her death, that the Cheyenne people got to settle on their own land with an agreement from the government. In southeast Montana, there's a place called the Lame Deer Reservation, and some of her fighting went directly into making sure that her people would get that land. And that is the story of Buffalo Calf Road Woman. Very interesting. 
at the end is when it picks up. It really <laughs> does. It's like all of a sudden you're like, okay, okay, no, yeah. the struggle of Native American people. Like, I get it, I get it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, but she killed the famous Civil War general. <sighs> That's really fucking cool. And they didn't talk about it for a hundred years. <sighs> There's just like so many like feelings wrapped up in that. I also can't help but think of um, Michael Che has this um, like bit that he does in his comedy routine where he's like, you know, I feel like everyone but white people. He's talking specifically about Black Lives Matter and like mm. black people. And he's like, I feel like black people are being told that like you have to get everything so quickly, you know, and I think it's like the same thing with Native American people. It's like, oh, my God, like little bighorn. That was forever ago. Just get over it. Right. You know, and like slavery. That was so long ago. Get over it. It's like. George Florida was two weeks ago. Get over it. <laughs> wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, but it, and Michael Che finishes the whole joke off with like, but 9-11 never forget, <laughs> you know? And it's like this whole thing of, I feel like people don't want to hear it anymore. And that's why we don't hear these stories. And it's very frustrating. And I think one of the craziest things to think about is that when this man, Dr. Thomas, did these interviews in 1922. Mm -hmm. People from Little Bighorn were still alive. So don't tell me it was super long ago. It was not fucking super long ago. No. In 1922, he could interview Native American people who were at the Battle of Little Bighorn. That Dude, Zelda Fitzgerald is like doing the Charleston and he's doing like important investigative journalism to people who are at this very important battle that... Yeah. Again, I don't know about. Right. You know, I know the name. I know that Custer died. But frankly, I only really know that Custer died because of freaking the Royal Tenenbaums. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like the knowledge and uh, it's hard to because what do I want every child in America to have like one like whole year just of history to like cover all this shit. But like it's. It's seen as so unimportant in like our textbooks and stuff. Yeah. And again, like you were saying earlier, it's framed in a way that Americans are always the heroes and the Native Americans are the. It's why there's that whole game of like, you know, cowboys versus Indians and like the cowboys are the heroes. Right. And I don't know. I just, I have a lot of feelings about it. I don't know where to direct them. And, but I, it's it's a really cool thing to think about the timeline of America. Yeah. Because no, people, people who were alive at Little Bighorn were like alive during the War of 1812. Yeah. But then like people, you know, the, the younger people were alive in 1920. So it's like, yeah. how many generations are we away? And then you think about the 1960s and the civil rights movement and you're like, yeah. we are on the we're still in the civil rights movement like it's not going anywhere i just had that thought today because um as we talked about in our ruby bridges episode she's like my mom she's age. your mom's age and i work with a home inspector um in my job who born and bred in new orleans grew up there and i had this thought literally today because i was going to see him and i was like fuck he's my parents age i like he lived in a segregated he lived school in district. A segregated school district. Like, was he around when? Like, was he going to school when Ruby Bridges was going to school? But like, of course, we have. Like, <laughs> I see him for literally like two minutes every couple of weeks. Right. Like, I'm like in and out. So I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to be like, 
stop your job. Can you please talk to me about the civil rights movement in Louisiana? <laughs> um, <laughs> please. But but yeah, it was just one of those weird things. Again, it's like that wasn't that fucking long ago. It wasn't. But people are saying it is. Yeah, they're saying it is because they want you to forget that it was that terrible. And again, they want you to get over it. Yeah. So they'll be like the moon landing. I feel like it was yesterday. So yeah. right. <laughs> it's like, yes, it just yeah. happened. There hasn't been a civil rights march around here for 45, 45 years. Oh, my God. We need it's like, more yeah, things. and we need to do it again because you're still fucking it up. <laughs> you don't get it. Um, OK, so we need more drinks. Um, We're going to do that. Obviously, I need more drinks, apparently. Um, I've I'm been really not s- drunk enough. <laughs> Let's do it. We're going to be right back. All right. So we just recorded the first three pages of Katie's story and it's gone. It's gone. So we're so, going to redo it. Is it going now? Okay, it it's going now. It's going to be great. God damn it. It's, it's okay. okay. At least we didn't get to the end and figure it out. That would be terrible. That would be. We only did, what, five, ten minutes? Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're totally good. So here's the deal. What the fuck are we drinking? <laughs> okay. So now I have to retell what we're drinking. I'm already drinking um, it, but it, it's green like Slimer. I think that's the like joke Slimer. I made, That right? was the joke you made. Burner, burner. Exactly. I'll replay it for you. <laughs> so this is um, a voodoo frap. It is... A blended drink, which we don't normally do. We haven't done it in a long time. Um, I put a shot of tequila, a shot of absinthe, um, a half ounce of mint simple syrup, juice from half a lemon, and then I've just blended it all together. And here it is. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. <laughs> it's a lot of absinthe. Absinthe. So much absinthe. You can already hear it on my stutter. You can. <laughs> I've been drinking it. Um, and I did want to do something with absinthe because it's very New Orleans. It's very French. You know what I'm saying? And it also, I feel like voodoo invokes kind of like a coming in of the spirits. And so right. does absinthe. And I also it gave it this amazing, as you said, slimer colors. So. Yeah. And it really is going to make me pass out later. But producer just ordered me Chinese food. Uh. And I'm down. I'm so jealous. I'm so sad that you have to redo the first half of your story. But just for you, I'm really excited about it because now I'm going to learn more. Mm -hmm. But here's what I did know about Marie Laveau before you started. What do you know? (laughs) I knew that she was from Louisiana and Mm -hmm. that voodoo. Okay. But I also think we had a... (laughs) Didn't we have a good discussion about racism in Louisiana? I can't remember. Uh, We did and we will. So in the physical part, you said that she was... Um, had a light skin tone. Is she of yes. European descent or is she like African descent? Like what's going on? All of it. Okay. So she had Native American, French, and African descent. Okay. So she is literally like just all of Louisiana. And the History Checks made a really good point in their episode when they were talking about how America was seen as the melting pot. But when they say melting, I feel like they mean everyone melted to conform to the, like the white patriarchal ideal. Right, like assimilation. Like what, exactly. And Louisiana, especially like just from the get-go because of the way that it was kind of settled and grew, it was more like a gumbo where everything's in the same pot, but it's retaining its unique flavor and like, you know what I'm saying? It's retaining its personality right you can pull that sausage out right that shrimp shrimp. 
Yeah. Got it. Everything is there, but they're coming together to make a great soup. But you know that that's a shrimp and you know that that's a fucking sausage and that's a pepper. Right. So, and I think that especially Marie Laveau's story is such a good representation of this gumbo of New Orleans and how people coexisted and also how people were fighting against that coexisting. I, and I love it. And I do. I love hearing stories about people from Louisiana because I know later in the season we have the princess and the frog set up. We do. Like as a fictional story and yes. not just like specifically Tiana, but like the history of that story and like how Tiana ended up there. So I'm excited. I'm very excited about that. Tell me all the things. OK, I'll, I'll alert everybody when it's new information yes. for me. <laughs> So Marie Laveau. Oh, first off, because I forgot. So I got most of this from the History Chicks and Deviant Women podcast. So they both did like really great like research on this um, because like, I'm, a, I'm like a trash human and I won't do my own research. Well, also, like I've never heard Deviant Women, but it's very good. They're Australian and they're lovely. <sighs> That's great. Um, but I haven't had a History Chicks episode on my person for the last four weeks. <laughs> They need to step it up. I don't know what to do. Well, it's also because they again, do so much research. We do an episode a week and in order to bring you an episode a week, we have to do shit like this. So they like really read all the books in order yeah. to bring you this stuff. We like watch a couple movies. And yeah. it's like, here it is. I'm like, YouTube, give me the goods. <laughs> give me the- <laughs> give me a 10 minute documentary on this person. Top 10, please. Um, <laughs> so... Marie Laveau's story is, I mean, it's a fantastic blend of myth and truth. I'll be telling her story as best I can while trying to navigate the myth, the historical record, the history of New Orleans, history of voodoo, and what they all mean in terms of Marie's legend. I love that. I want to know more about voodoo so bad. I'm not going to do a great job, but I am going to shed, I think, some light on it that will change people's minds on it, I hope. So that's what we're here. We're game changers. That's why we're here. So Marie Laveau was born a free woman in the French Quarter of New Orleans on September 10th or 16th, 1801 (laughs) or 1794. I don't even understand that. But 1801, I didn't know there were like free people of color in the South. Well, and the listeners don't know yet. Oh, I just said it. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Her father was a man named Charles Laveau who many believe was a wealthy white plantation owner and the mayor of New Orleans for a brief time. But historians have discovered that he was actually a free black man who just happened to have the same name. So when sources say that her father was a white man and the mayor of New Orleans, that is not true. Um, Her mother, Marguerite, was, again, a true woman of New Orleans, freed from slavery at the age of 18 with African, Native American and French ancestry, which left Marie with a very mixed heritage, but an X on her birth certificate because she was in a long term relationship with a white man, but she wasn't allowed to marry that white man. But she had a few kids with him. She did cheat on this white man with Charles Laveau and they had Marie. But not the white mayor. But not the white mayor, the free man of color. So it's very confusing because she was and it was more so like it kind of sounded like this long term like, you know, like Hugh Hefner had his like girlfriend holly madison yeah exactly (laughs) of like you're going to be my girl for a long time and this is just it and like you know and so i don't know whether it was completely frowned upon Mm. that she had this affair with charles lavelle but i'm guessing it was because she put an x on the birth certificate so 
The reigning theory is that, again, Charles Laveau was a man she had a fling with, um, and but she we know she had other children with this white man. So, but they were all named Marie, all the girls. <laughs> That's just something to know. So we're gonna try our best to keep them separate and like you know tell the story correctly. It's very Catholic of but them, but it's going to get very mysterious later, especially okay. when Marie herself has children. So. We don't know too much about her early life, but we know that she was most likely illiterate and learned uh, her early skills in herbal medicine and midwifery from her mother and her grandmother, Catherine, who she lived with. So and we also know that New Orleans was in a state of transition when Marie was being born. So the city had been first, you know, quote unquote, settled by the French who brought slaves over from Africa. And then the Spanish came in, and then there was a revolution in Haiti, and New Orleans saw a massive influx of Haitians into the city, creating this just diverse mix of people in this hot, humid area. It, I mean, I cannot imagine. Like, <sighs> we're swimming in Baltimore. I know. It's the bayou? That's insane. Yeah. They have alligators down there. They do. Who wants those? Nobody. Mm. <laughs> Cowboys and their boots. Maybe, uh, what's his face? Uh, Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> so then, I mean, just He doesn't right want alligators. <laughs> his name is literally Crocodile Dundee. I'm sorry. What's the difference? Their jaws are square versus pointy. <laughs> really? Is that the difference? Have you been to science class? No. <laughs> I told you. I went to Christian school. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're all of the devil. So then right in those first years of like Marie's life, the Spanish seceded. It came back under France's total control. And then Napoleon sold it for a song and a hay penny to Thomas Jefferson in the infamous Louisiana purchase. Doubled the size of the US. I mean, we literally could now go from the Gulf of Mexico to Canada uh-huh. in that one And the Mississippi purchase. River to like the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. It's massive. Yeah. I honestly, on a daily basis, forget about the Mississippi River and how crucial it is. Mm-hmm. I think, be- I wonder if Mark Twain actually did it like a disservice. Like, I feel like everyone... Th- <laughs> yeah, Mark Twain, fuck you. Mark Twain. <laughs> the Mississippi River hates you. Um, just kidding. But but you know what I'm saying? I feel like because we just think of it as like this Huckleberry Finn kind of thing. I think maybe on the East Coast. I think if you oh, live I'm on sorry. It- You're right. I forget that I am sorely confined to Baltimore. <laughs> and- the Chesapeake Bay is the greatest water source. <laughs> America couldn't exist without it. What did I say earlier? (laughs) It invades our privacy, the (laughs) Chesapeake Bay. No, but seriously, like, I think, um, like, the Mississippi River, like, it's, like, the third biggest river in the world. It's pretty big. And And I'm just going to say, I've been on a riverboat in the Mississippi River. Pretty cool. I went to St. Louis, so. So we were on the same river. At some point, but, I mean, across the country, so. (laughs) Whatever. So. Because they had been kind of a lone area for a while, the slavery laws were more lax than in other places because, again, the U.S. is just kind of in territories right now. So slaves were still able to be freed and buy their own freedom or their family's freedom. They were also allowed to live apart from their owners and make money on the side if they wanted to. So by the time the Spanish rule was finishing up, 20% of the population was made up of freed blacks, which is crazy significant it's a huge amount of people yeah it's also why there was a lot of racial mixing going on and it was definitely frowned upon and 
They were not allowed to get married, but for the most part, people just kind of went along with their business. The ebb and flow. Exactly. And, but of course, the white leaders were feeling like the black population was getting a little too powerful. So they started to make rules and regulations to curb that growth. (laughs) So there was an attempt to control this by making it illegal for women of color to display their hair in public which is all tied up in all sorts of hair politics that we've talked about extensively on this show. And it's still a problem. It's still a problem. I mean, there are like literal PE classes or like dance classes where it's like, well, your hair needs to be in a bun. Well, it's like, well, my hair's in braids. Yeah. I, I physically can't do that right now. Right. Or just jobs where they're like, oh, I'm sorry, you have your hair in dreadlocks? Like, we don't accept that. And it's like, We just have to change our perception of what What professional means. Exactly. I feel like I I honestly feel like it's ridiculous that we're accepting like tattoos and body art before we accept like black hairstyles or like workplace mermaid hair. Like it's right. Like I'm going to dye the ends of my hair blue and purple, but don't accept somebody who has beads in their hair. Exactly. It's outrageous. Yeah. So just a little side corner about that. Um, <laughs> so but there is an attempt to as if we know. I we don't know. <laughs> We're the worst. God. So um, there was an attempt to control this um, by, again, making it illegal for women of color to display their hair. So they did this because they thought it would make them less attractive to the white men because they were literally seen as so beautiful that they were like, no, all these white men are having too many children with these black women because they're so beautiful. So we need to curb that. So they're like, well, just just hide your hair, like, you know, make yourself less ugly. And then all these women were like, OK, well, fuck you. I'm going to find the most beautiful pattern I can. I'm going to embroider it. I'm going to put a fucking feather in my cap and I am going to make this. An incredible act of resistance and obviously, like, women had been wrapping their hair for a long time. So this isn't a thing that, like, the white people just thought of and were like, do this. It's a matter of them making it illegal for you not to wear it. Right. And that's, again, all tied up in America's history of black hair politics. And and hair politics in general. Just yeah. Like, having to, you know, when you're in a different country having to carry a scarf, if yeah. you're going to be touring in a specific religious institution or like there are countries where it's illegal to not have on a hijab and it's like if you want to choose to wear that religious symbol that's a beautiful thing but you shouldn't be forced to wear it no and right now they're being forced to wear the tignons so but they just really made it their own and they made it such a fashion statement and then made them so beautiful and then wore this amazing jewelry around it that it became a literal fashion trend in the U.S. And we have portraits of Dolly Madison getting in on the fashion trend. Was she culturally appropriating it? Probably. Probably. <laughs> so, I mean, but that's how far it reached. And that's the point I want to make is that they took this effort to quiet them and made it a fashion statement that spread across the U.S. Yeah. Amazing. So another thing about New Orleans and this is where we're getting the information you haven't heard yet. <laughs> oh, here we are. Join me, everyone. Is that women could also own and operate businesses. What? 
in the 1800s? Yes, in the 1800s in New Orleans, which therefore increased their ability to buy their freedom and their family's freedom. So that's, again, why it was like there were such there was such a high population of free black people in the state. Intriguing. I mean, in the territory. Um, but then, of course, like things changed. He sold it. The Jefferson's knocking, you know, and slaves are now being treated as more of like straight up property rather right. than unlucky people who happen to be your slave. Mm. And according to the history checks, like when things were changing in New Orleans, people literally wept at the news that their area was about to be like the rest of America. Exactly. Or at least the East Coast. And this is where young Marie, a devout Catholic girl who's also very influenced by voodoo culture and speaking French Creole grew up. I mean, you literally cannot get a more New Orleans person than Marie. You can't. And yes, Marie was Catholic for her whole life. And I want to point this out before we get on, because we think of voodoo as being like the opposite of any formal religion, because we only think of religion in a white context. It's very Satanistic. Exactly. And it's like of the devil. And there are multiple places around the world where specifically Catholicism and voodoo coexist in really interesting ways. And I mean, how different is like praying to statues, eating bones and drinking blood out of a gold chalice communion than what voodoo practitioners do. But we'll get to all that in a bit. But this is, there's a lot of similarities. Um, and again, aside from the historical context we can gather, this is what we know about her young life until she's 18 years old when she marries a man by the name of Jacques Perry hmm. or Jacques Santiago. If you're looking at the Spanish records, <laughs> so New Orleans. I love it. Um, they married in the beautiful white cathedral in the middle of New Orleans, St. Louis Cathedral, where the original record of her marriage is still kept today. Uh, and everyone there? knows what it looks like. Yes, oh, that's there. so cool. So as a dowry of sorts, her father gave them a small house, but they never actually lived in that house. They lived in the um, they lived in a small house on Bayou Street for the first few years. <laughs> they had two children, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> some historical records say they like didn't even like consummate the marriage but then some said that she had had um her first daughter marie felicity uh, felicite at 16 and then they got married and then they had marie Angeli. um but both daughters very early on from what we can tell died of yellow fever oh what a so, bummer very sad. So lots of mosquitoes down there. Lots of mosquitoes and that and, and like it's really hard to get away from down there. Um, so from what we can tell, if she did have two daughters at this time, they died from yellow fever. And then after her second daughter, Marie Angeli died, Jack just disappears. Goes away. Completely goes away. There are three main theories. Number one, he ran off with another woman. Number two, Marie killed him because he was cheating on her <laughs> or number three, which is probably the most likely is that he died of yellow fever along with his children. I was going to say buried in a mass grave. Two is the most probable. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, don't cheat on us. Don't Marie. So whatever happens, Marie starts to assume the name around town, the widow Paris. Oh, and now that she's single, she has to make it on her own. So, because she's allowed to own a business, she starts her own beauty parlor on Royal Street. Okay. She had a lot of clients who would come into her shop, but she mainly 
traveled around to various wealthy white women around town to do their hair, which is where she picked up little tidbits of information along the way. Now, they didn't think much of Marie, so they would just spill their guts to her, telling her all sorts of things she probably wouldn't have known otherwise. Secret secrets. I know. Her and her clients would be like, oh my gosh, you would not believe what Bitsy Von Muffling is doing with her pool boy. And then can you believe that Charles Von Richington made a bad play in the Margaret and other dirt poor? And so she's getting all this high level information. And then she's getting the real, real dirt because she has very close connections with their staff. Oh, so anything extra she needs, she's getting from them. This is like the book, The Help. <laughs> you gave it to me 10 years ago, literally. I still read haven't it. read it. I'm so sorry. I'll take it back. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so she uses this information and she suddenly has this ability to kind of know things about people around town before they even say them. So she'll be talking to someone and they'll be like, I think that Charles Von Richington is cheating on me. And she'd be like, he is. And it's with this person. And I know it for a fact. And I can help. And then people kind of start to think that she's clairvoyant and she's not correcting them. Oh, shit. So she starts to parlay this newfound knowledge into a career as a voodoo queen. So she had already been practicing voodoo because it's just a part of a New part Orleans of culture. Yes. Exactly. But now... She is using this to gain a reputation because a big part of voodoo is using people's personal items and knowledge during the rituals. So she's coming into their homes. She's coming into contact with their slaves and servants, and she has the opportunity to take personal items or have servants sneak them away in order to increase her, the effectiveness of her practice. You gotta have them. So some notes on voodoo. There are three main types. There are, there's African voodoo, Haitian voodoo, and Louisiana voodoo. And it seems to me that Louisiana voodoo is like this really incredible mixture of Haitian, black, like African, and um, Catholicism. Okay. So, obviously, for this story, we will be focusing on Louisiana voodoo. And it's really interesting because it was able to thrive in Louisiana because, again, the slavery laws were a bit more lax. So slaves were not separated from their families and communities as often. So they were able to instill those beliefs and traditions over multiple generations. But the biggest contributor to this was that it was a very Catholic region. So all of the slave owners felt that the slaves deserved Sundays off. Oh, like Chick-fil-A. Like Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> but so, did they hate gay people? <laughs> mm, probably not. So <laughs> maybe the Catholics, not the voodoos. Uh, I really don't know, honestly. But, <laughs> um, so they all had Sundays off. So they had time that they could set aside for worship and practices and community. And then you put it in with this Catholic tradition and it influenced them in all these ways, such as, you know, building altars and incense and relics and shit. And like voodoo looks and, and, and if they're developing Louisiana voodoo to look more like Catholicism, there's less of a chance for the wealthy white people to feel like they need to shut it down because mm -hmm. it looks familiar to them. Right. And I know, for instance, in Brazil, 
the way that it mixes there with Catholicism and voodoo is that like when the colonizers told them that they couldn't practice voodoo anymore, they would be like, here, worship Mary instead. And they'd be like, okay, this is Mary. She kind of reminds me of this like deity in voodoo. So I'm just going to use this statue as her because their tools aren't restrictive. I mean, just just all the religions just mesh together. It's fine. And it's really interesting because they don't let people trying to control them influence their core beliefs. And what do they believe exactly? So obviously it varies from tradition to tradition, but this is what I gathered from the Marie Laveau House of Voodoo website. So this is from the website. The core beliefs of Louisiana voodoo include the recognition of one God who does not interfere in people's daily lives and spirits that preside over daily life. Okay, so monotheism. Mm-hmm. Okay. But with extras, with bonuses. Some angels. So spiritual. Of, of, yeah. Guiding angels. <laughs> so these are spiritual forces, which can be kind of mischievous. They shape daily life. And they, like, intercede in the lives of their followers. Connection with these spirits can be achieved through dance, music, singing, and the use of snakes, which represent Legba, voodoo's main spirit conduit to all others. Unlike the Judeo-Christian image, the voodoo serpent represents healing knowledge and the connection between heaven and earth. Instead of perversing the woman in the garden. Right. But also, I think it's interesting because this ties back to Moses tying the snake around the staff, which is where we get the medical symbol yes, from. Yes, it is. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I feel like... So, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> I don't know what I feel like. Um, <laughs> I feel like Moses did that. It's fine. Yes. Uh, deceased ancestors can also intercede in the lives of voodoo followers. The main focus of Louisiana voodoo today is to serve others and influence the outcome of life events through connection with nature, spirits, and ancestors. True rituals are held behind closed doors and like showy rituals are considered to be kind of disrespectful to the spirits. So the main focus of Louisiana voodoo today is to serve others and influence the outcome of life events through connection with nature, spirits, and ancestors. Got it. True rituals are held behind closed doors and showy rituals are kind of considered disrespectful to the spirits. But again, this is just in Louisiana voodoo. So some, and even in Marie Laveau's story, we do see big, you know, events. Um, Voodoo methods include reading spiritual baths, specially devised diets, prayer, and personal ceremony. Voodoo is often used to cure anxiety, addiction, depression, loneliness, and other ailments. So I feel like voodoo in its like truest form and not the media speculation that we have made voodoo to be is very similar to witchcraft and how Really, the tenets of witchcraft are like, no, we're going to heal ourselves with the earth. We're going to make herbal remedies. We're going to connect ourselves with, again, Mother Earth. And I want to point out, too, that like witchcraft and voodoo are very like matriarchal religions. Absolutely. And which is fascinating to me. And I just want to put that out there because I think it really frames our story. And for Marie especially... Catholicism and voodoo were inextricably linked. So she's building up her portfolio, uh, her voodoo portfolio. (laughs) And 
she's getting really into it. She and has her headshots yeah, done. Yeah, she has her headshots. <laughs> but she's really getting gaining a reputation, reputation in the neighborhood as like a healer and someone to go to for advice. And meanwhile, she enters a relationship with Christophe Dominique Dumini de Glopion, a white man of French, like, noble descent. And they get together and they stay together for... 30 years. Wow. But of course, they're not allowed to get married. And some speculate that she had 15 children with him. That's so interesting because that literally is the end of the princess and the frog. It is. The the African-American woman is marrying the French man. Yeah. Because it's like yeah. allowed. But it can't be a white <laughs> guy. It has to be a white <sighs> French guy. Exactly. So... Um, they, but we only have records of like five or seven of these children. And we only really remember two, um, her daughters, Marie Eloise and Marie Philomen. Yellow fever course, girls more. No, these are the ones that survive. Okay. This is like post yellow fever guy. This is post, new boy. Yes. New, new boy. husband, um, okay. uh, Glapion and Marie Eloise and Marie Philomen are the two daughters that survive all. All of it. Okay, cool. Because, like, again, they may have had up to 15 children. And these are the only two that survived. What year is this that they're having babies? Do we know? These are the um, 1800s. So this is, like, probably, like, 1830s. Okay, because she was born in 1801 or 1796 or whatever. Exactly. Okay, got it. So, um... And her daughters share their mother's incredible beauty. And I like to imagine them as like Lisa Bonet and Zoe Kravitz. Yes, my girl. Uh, the most beautiful women on the face of the planet right now. And who like look very similar, but they like, they're just, they're so beautiful. But the thing was with Marie and her two daughters, Marie and Marie. Um, <laughs> I love it. Why didn't I name um, all my kids Allie? You should have. God damn. <laughs> Miss my mark. <laughs> but Marie the second, who I believe was Marie Philemon, um, she did take up the family craft after many years and she became a voodoo queen herself. Hmm. And this fact makes Marie the first even more mystical in our memory. So one of the beliefs of Marie Laveau is that she could disappear reappear in another location and even time travel and that she like didn't age she's nightcrawler exactly so what was really happening is that people would be talking about what a great time they had hanging out with marie laveau at bitsy's party tuesday night and another person would say no i was with marie laveau she was helping me put a curse on my husband on tuesday night and what was going on was they didn't realize that like one was with the mother and one was with the daughter (laughs) Oh, how tricky. It's like having a twin. Exactly. But then they were like, yeah, Marie would just like, you know, one day she would look 70. The other day she would look 30. And it's like, yeah, because there are two Marie Laveaux. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all look the same. I know. I know. (laughs) Like, my God. And this is the thing, because like they also like they were in the same career. And I don't think they were trying to like correct anybody. I think they liked the legend that was growing. Oh, of course. Hey. Listen, if you've got a moneymaker, work Use it. it. Work it. So we're getting a lot of like small snippets of stories about her magic. Um, some not true. Others may be true. Some that were made up to throw shade on Marie. Oh. Like the rumors on how she got her house on St. Anne Street. So there's this famous story of her run-in with a wealthy young socialite of New Orleans 
who got into a bit of a scuff when he murdered someone. So his dad, a fellow wealthy white man, was totally distraught. The evidence was clear that his son totally did it, but he was so promising and such a great swimmer that he wanted all this to go away so his son could reach his unlimited potential. Mm. Where have we heard that before? And I throw that I threw the swimming stuff in um, <laughs> for a fact um, because Brock Turner is the worst. So <laughs> how many people want their so, son to reach their unlimited potential? Yeah. So this wealthy father hired Marie and she performed a ritual where she put three guinea peppers in her mouth. Apparently they're very hot. And she sat with them in her mouth at the altar at St. Um, Louis Church for like hours and when she was ready she took the peppers to the courthouse and placed them under the judge's bench and by the time it came to rule on the case the judge was like shit none of this evidence is convincing go forth young man and kill again and marie was gifted the house on saint anne street but that never happened it was hot 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 goss and (laughs) it was propaganda used to spread the image like of Marie as a bad person of okay. like, look, she gets murderers off death row and like she's working for like white people. So in reality, her, you know, quote unquote husband, Glapion, just fucking bought the house that belonged to her grandmother who had just passed. What's it like to buy a house? Who like knows? what? Yeah. So it people just wanted to see her as a bad guy. Exactly. Did white the, people want to see white her as a bad guy. guy? OK, so they were just like, look, she gets white murderers off. Yeah. So they want, yeah, like it's a a lot of smear campaigns go on with Marie Laveau. It's like Barabbas. Exactly. Got it. So, and this was the house where she performed most of her rituals. And I also want to say that we're going to get into it later, but she was so invested in her community that like when they say she had 15 children, they also might mean that she brought in a ton of children who didn't have homes and needed a place to stay. They needed an orphanage. Yeah, exactly. And we know that, like, in her big front yard, she let Native American women come and stay who lost their homes. Also, shit. I wanted to say at the top of this episode that last week we said we never covered anybody with anorexia and Jenna Jameson was like <gasps> wheeled to the airport because she couldn't stand oh my up. Gosh, Remember? That's right. I forgot about that. And I just felt so bad after yeah. I thought about it. I was like, fuck, we have covered somebody. And just because she's like a bad somebody doesn't make her not a somebody. Yeah. Like quote unquote bad. I mean, right. she's a sex worker. Blah. Yeah. But like, it was like, okay. Yeah. Done. Sorry. I okay. just like, I, it no, popped it's a totally into my good head. thing to say. Because yeah. she di- she struggled with anorexia hardcore and was in the hospital. Yeah. And like wasn't eating and was 70 pounds. So that's a real thing. Yeah. All right. Okay. Back to voodoo. So I'm here back for to it. voodoo. <laughs> um, so basically her home was just like an open area for like people who needed to to come through and stay. Um, she held weekly services and these services were basically like people would come in and there'd be like a white cloth on the ground. They would do these rituals where they would do offerings of rice, fresh food, vegetables, tons of candles to welcome the spirits and the positive energy. People would join her dressed in all white. They would chant and sing and make their offerings. Um, the altar in the front of the house was where all this took place among the statues and portraits of saints and deities. But in the back, she had an altar performing kind of bad work, such as breaking up love affairs and even bringing death. This 
altar was a bit different and included apparently images of uh, bears, tigers, wolves, lions. And then in the backyard, they said she would perform rituals with snakes specifically to conjure up the deity of Le Grande Zombie. So we do know that she owned a big black snake that she called Zombie. That's like Voldemort. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of like snakes have like a long history of being involved in shit like this. And actually, we were talking before the podcast about how like, again, people think that's like voodoo is so different from Catholicism or Christianity. But we literally have groups in the Appalachian Mountains that are, you know, Christian who do snake practices. Yeah. And I mean, the snake has become such a very like Judeo-Christian thing yeah. because of the Torah. Yeah. Like the the snake symbol. And then like, and then you have Moses, as you referenced earlier. Yeah. I can't wait till we get to my promo because this is going to weirdly apply. <laughs> but it's very, very cool to is think. Is it the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? It's exactly what it is. <laughs> uh, it's my favorite movie. And I love it. <laughs> All I want is white men to act Egyptian on a regular basis. <laughs> Keep going. I love it. So. Oh, my God. No, it's not that. <laughs> but anyway, so um, she would also attend meetings at Congo Square on Sundays and sell her Grigri bags. Um, so these are things that people still make today. They're like little pouches with um, special um pieces in them that are supposed to bring different types of things. Uh, my friend Christy makes them. Um, I'm also going to give Christy a shout out later because she's also a voodoo queen. Um, and you're going to meet her at the wedding. It's going to be great. Um, can't she wait. Got really famous though for her large scale rituals, which she held once a year on June 23rd. Also coming up this year. This is amazing. But- <laughs> and, um, this was St. John's Eve slash like St. John's celebration. Okay. So June 23rd, St. John's Eve at Lake Pontchartrain, uh, they would get together and they would celebrate midsummer. Okay. So witnesses said that Laveau's annual feast, which included a head washing ritual, was a blend between a gospel revival and a jazz fest. Apparently, Marie Laveau would rise out of the lake with a communion candle burning on her head and two candles in each hand. And like that rise was, upward. Yes. Austin Powers did that in the movie, but they just what? filmed him going down and then reversed it. And it looked like he was going from being wet to being dry. And I was like, what the fuck? Wait, which one? Oh, one of them. I don't know. Oh, one of them. Okay. The third one, maybe <laughs> the third one. Probably gold member with Beyonce. No, um, maybe I'm not. I'm not an aficionado. I'm sorry. <laughs> Austin Powers. You're right. This is not your area of expertise. It's mine. Yeah. Would you tell me which one you came up out of the water? I don't remember. Please. In um, a blue suit with ruffles. Wait. Thanks, Mike Myers. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, initiations would take place sacred drumming and singing and like white people and black people would also be attending these events but some of the white people were just kind of coming to like take a look but (laughs) the upper echelon of the white population was like we don't like this it looks like straight up devil worship and this many black people getting together is not a good sign as one article was like the riot literally one article was like the negroes might forget their duties to their masters oh my god so 
But Marie was partnered with a man of such wealth and privilege that they couldn't actually tell her to straight up cut cut it the fuck out. So they just spread a bunch of negative shit about her in the press. Okay, so she is using her connections and they are using theirs. Exactly. Got it. Tick, tack. <laughs> they would three and <laughs> they would say things like they had witches cauldrons brewing and Marie brought out a snake and cut it into three pieces and threw it into the cauldron. Sounds and like then, my grandma. <laughs> what? My grandma's insane. Did she cut snakes up and put them in cauldrons? Uh not in cauldrons, but she would like so she lives on the shore, as you know, and like if the a, Chesapeake Bayou. The, the the Chesapeake Bayou. And if <laughs> where they do paddling. Um <laughs> Emily and then they so if a snake like would come on her property she would just like take a a shovel and just chop it in half with the shovel and then use it as bait in the crab traps <gasps> I've seen my grandmother do crazy things she's like World War II survivor I don't know what's happening she's gonna die soon it'll be fine but she cut snakes in half a lot to use them in crab traps that's horrifying and can you imagine being a crab like i've never tasted this before <laughs> a delicacy of nab's creek <laughs> the, the cut in half snake <laughs> i love it what is wrong so, with me? they're like she cut snakes into three and then like and then she brought out a rooster and sacrificed that and then she brought out a cat and sacrificed that and like <laughs> Did things did these things actually happen? I like really don't know. But we do know that like, you know, there is some like animal sacrifice and some voodoo rituals. So maybe it did happen. But we also know that white reporters, you know, kind of skewed the facts to throw shit on her. So we may never know. I mean, but, God wanted Abraham to cut his son in half or yeah, some we shit. We never talk about <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, fuck the Jews. Yeah. What the hell are we talking about? <laughs> but either way, some people were not pleased with what she was doing. Um, she would also on St. John's Eve, like throw like a big ass party and there would basically be like some sex work going on and she would just sit there and watch it so she could then be like, mm, Mr. Moneybags, I saw you engage with a sex worker last night. God, she would be the queen of Pornhub watching. She would like have it. I she know. would be like, I've seen you somewhere. I know you. <laughs> Big tool for you. <laughs> oh, Stanford. Um, <laughs> but she was referred to by some people as a demon, a witch, a she-devil, and a hellcat. Probably because, again, Marie Laveau was super invested and involved in her community. And she was seen as a black woman with too much power. And it's also crazy because it's like she's got these layers, right? Because like... You know, the early 1700s were calling white women witches, like in Salem, mm -hmm. Massachusetts. And then it's like, once we've decided that white women are fine to do the things they want to do, now it's like, oh, you are a witch and voodoo and you're foreign. You're weird and foreign. That's exactly. like what I feel like is being painted on her. It absolutely is. And again, she has too much power. And most of her quote unquote dangerous voodoo work involved making medicine for people because they couldn't trust the white doctors like there's like this famous quote that i can't remember who it's from um where this person was like yeah the best way to get cured of yellow fever is when the hospital wagon pulls up hide in your closet and wait until they leave to get out because they would be like mm, you know what no i don't think you need dandelion root um to heal this i think that you need leeches <laughs> and Again, because we think of medicine as like this thing where like 
you know, the white men know the best answers. Like we blindly trust them. And then not like, and it's again, now I'm getting into territory that is dicey right now. Well, no, it is because it's like, okay, so there is like at present, there is like an anti-vaxxer and like a vaxxer community. But it's like, listen, if you give me a, you know, a study and you show me there's a control group and you show me all the details and all the FDA requirements, like, okay. Right, because now we do have some safe checks for these things. Back then it was like leeches are on the run. Let's (laughs) just bloodlet people till there's no tomorrow. Just suck their blood out. It'll be fine. And that's why people like Marie Laveau had much higher success rates with treating people. My God. Okay. So So she is actually treating them with like some sort of herbal. Yeah. And again, things that had been passed down for years and years and years, but you know, when white people kind of started to come into power, they were like, no, again, like that's witchcraft. Don't believe that. And they pushed it out as old wives tales. Yes. We talked about this before too. And we have. And I think it's also crucial that today we understand that we have, in order for medicine to exist, the scientific community has backstepped and taken those herbal medicines and turned them into a concentrated pill for us to take. So it's like, they it's the medicine we have now is strictly because people in the past tried things out and figure out what worked yep you know what i mean that's Mm -hmm. insane so she's making medicine (laughs) (laughs) and she's also um treating personally a bunch of people with yellow fever because she seemed to be immune to it and like she didn't but the thing is she was immune, probably because she had been exposed to it a bunch of times and just developed this immunity. Lots of skeeters. Mm-hmm. And maybe she even had it as a child because my understanding is that you can't get it twice. So, yellow fever. Um, so, she's going around and she's acting as a personal nurse to all these people. But the thing is, she didn't know she was immune. So, every time she treated someone, she thought, I might get yellow fever and die. Oh, my God. She had no idea that she was immune. Um, and all that gossip she was hearing, she was also using it to like help people in her community. Like if there was something she knew that could help someone out, be like, Hey, I heard that your, you know, Mr. Moneybags made a bad play in the stock market, you know? So just be careful because he might try and like sell your kids. I don't know if that particular the stock market happened. exists. <laughs> Who knows? Um, <laughs> but you know NASDAQ. what I'm saying? It was she's, NASDAQ. <laughs> she's using all this to help people in her community but even more importantly than all of that she would help people who were imprisoned when women of color were thrown in jail she'd pay their bail oh she'd bail them out she would also take her voodoo altars to the local jail so she could perform ceremonies with folks who were locked up she was like there's a priest here to help people who are catholic or christian but what about the people who pray to my deities they deserve equal representation and frankly, she would just go to visit them. She believed that even prisoners deserved compassion and attention, which we still don't even believe today. She's like a doula. She really is. She's like caring. Yeah. And but the people that she went to see the most were the ones on death row. Most of them, she was simply giving them their last rites. Because, again, if they weren't, like, Catholic or Christian, they didn't get last rites. And we didn't in, like, check DNA religion. back then. No. So, and for some special cases, she would talk to them and ask them if they wanted her help. 
and she would then bring something according like in this like we don't even know if this is really true or not but i feel like it is um it was a drug called tetroxid um tetradotoxin um or the zombie drug this is a drug from haiti which we know has a direct channel to new orleans and basically it interferes with the transmission of signals from nerves to muscles and it causes an increasing paralysis of the muscles of the body in a small dose it can paralyze the person to the point of a coma and this one she would use for those who had been wrongly convicted she would make it look like they had died and then she'd wait for the prison to ship them out to be buried and she would literally sometimes like rescue them from being buried like or like dig them back up my god i thought you were gonna say she was using it as like a euthanasia which is like also she giving. also does that okay because that's like also a giving thing if like you're about to be slaughtered for something you didn't do or for something you did do it's like at least i want to go on my own terms right and that's the whole thing is for those who did the crime she still believed in compassion for them and she would slip them the lethal dose to spare them from a public painful death at the hangman's noose with their permission, of course. Like, she wasn't just giving this to people who didn't want it. Right. She would talk to them. And because that's the thing, again, she spent a lot of time in the prison hanging out with these people. Whether they were guilty or enough, she was like, these, still, these people still deserve to be talked to. Yeah. And they deserve my compassion because there are a lot of white people who get lighter sentences and who don't serve jail time at all for much worse crimes. Absolutely. So... This brings us to another interesting part of the story because we're talking about like her charity work, all the good things in the neighborhood that she did in her community. But we also know that she owned at least seven slaves. Okay. And we don't know exactly in what capacity she owned them. Some say that like, you know, she bought them to free them. But then we have records of like this one kid that like she bought in childhood and then she like kept him until he was like in his 20s. So... We don't know the capacity, and obviously my research is not thorough enough to tell you a complete story of this. But again, women are nuanced, and we have to tell their complete stories, or why are we telling them at all? Right. Owning slaves is bad. Owning slaves is bad. She did a bad thing here. Like, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of people in this country who've owned slaves, and the world. Yeah. And it does not excuse it. No. But probably the most famous president of all time mm. had 300 of them. Mm. Uh, no excuses. No. And she shouldn't have excuses either, but no. it's something we need to know. Yeah. She's in the South. She had money. She owned slaves. So yeah. fuck her for that. Right. And like, maybe she set them free. Maybe she didn't. Maybe she set some free and didn't set others free. We really don't know. But again, like, there's so much about Marie that we don't know whether it's myth or myth or fact so um it's just one of those things i wanted to mention because i think it's important to tell her full story um in 1855 her beloved husband of 30 years christopher glapon died and marie never married or took another lover her daughter marie ii continued to become the next voodoo queen taking over from her mother and some historians speculate that some of marie the first negative reputation comes from Marie II's kind of antics and reputation because she was notably less charitable than her mother. And I think that she liked a lot more attention. So the St. John's Eve celebration was kind of started by her mom. And then Marie II kind of kept ramping it up and kept making it more extreme and more showy. And 
So some of her stories get entwined with Marie the first. Right. Because again, they looked very similar. They had similar, you know, personalities. So people just kind of lump them together. But nevertheless, on June 15th, 1881, Marie Laveau died peacefully in her cottage on St. Anne Street just Mm. a few months after her 80th birthday. Maybe 80th because we still don't know when she was born. (laughs) Um, And there are also some rumors that like she was swept away into the, the water. And this also might be actually another voodoo priestess who was washed away. And they're like, oh, but she like then walked across the water to get back. And again, Occam's razor. It's the the most normal story is the one that's true. Yeah. Is that she died peacefully in her home, surrounded by her followers. It's a pony, not a horse. (laughs) Exactly. And um, New Orleans Cemetery records prove that she was interred in the, quote, Widow Paris tomb in St. Louis Cemetery number one. The one that uh, John Travolta bought Mm, graves in? Nope. (laughs) Not him, but we will get into it. Listen back in history, friends. <laughs> so, um, and she's actually buried in the plot of the Glapion family, which is really nice since they were never officially married because That's they cool. couldn't. Oh. So, like most women in history, though, her story is obviously not over in death. Never. Her grave is one of the most popular tourist destinations in New Orleans. Mm. Fans of her story, devoted followers, and just plain licky loos have stopped by the gravestone for years, leaving gifts of flowers, food, lighting candles, writing on her tombstone, and even painting it. It's like our Ouija board grave. Yes. Oh, in my Maryland. gosh. Yes. We yeah. Have one. The creator of the Ouija board was yes. in Maryland. Very good. <sighs> and in order to make a wish on Marie Laveau's grave, you must draw an X on the tomb, turn around three times knock on the tomb, yell out your wish, and if it was granted, you have to come back, circle the X, and leave her an offering. Ooh. Some are obviously doing this to celebrate voodoo and her life and ask for blessings. Like, I have a friend, again, Christy, who really does go down to... She makes a pilgrimage to New Orleans. She makes Grigri bags. She really does make, like, legitimate, like, sacrifices to be a part of... Like, this is her religion right and whereas some people just do it as like a tourist attraction exactly some people are just being dicks and this has (laughs) caused the city to make some changes so it was happening for a long time they're like oh my gosh like (laughs) her grave's always fucked up we keep having to paint over it um and then but one year a person painted it like because people have been painting it blue Mm. but then someone painted it pink one year but they didn't use regular pink paint they used latex paint which gets hard on the outside, but then moisture can get in. And, and the latex paint would literally destroy the grave from the inside out oh, because it's so okay. humid in New Orleans. And they're like, well, fuck, we can't keep having this happen. So it is now closed off um, to the public. Uh, family members of those interred are allowed to come in. Paid tours are allowed to come in. And of course, Nicolas Cage is allowed to come in. <laughs> Because that's who it is. <laughs> oh, John Travolta. That was Face Off. I, I switched it. <laughs> I switched the characters from Face Off. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, because as we discussed in our Delphine LaLaurie episode, um, which is really funny because they did exist at the same time. And maybe they knew each other, but we really don't know. But... In American, Maybe this crazy and this murder. is the thing in American Horror Story, which I'll talk about in a minute. It kind of makes it seem like they were on the same level of evil, 
And like, no, Marie Laveau was not as evil as Delphine LaLaurie, who literally tortured slaves. She had secret like compartments yeah. in her house to murder people. We did an episode on her, too. So go check that out. Oh, my but, Lord. But um, anyways, so oh. Nicolas Cage bought <laughs> Delphine's house, was immediately haunted and then kicked someone out of their grave to erect a giant white pyramid next to Marie Laveau's <laughs> grave in order to lift the curse he felt was on him, which in reality, it's like you're probably more cursed now, you fucking idiot. You exhumed someone's body. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Marie Laveau has been the subject of many books, movies, TV shows, um, which adds to her legend. And of course, she was played um, by Angela Bassett in American Horror Story Coven. Um, and her portrayal of Marie is amazing. She's so good in that show. But of course, historians agree that the most true thing about her, the show is that she was a hairdresser. Have did you want? Have you seen all of American Horror Story? I've seen most of it, not I, all of it. I have not seen all of it, but I was like telling somebody we did Nellie Bly, and I was explaining who Nellie Bly was, and they were like, "Oh, American Horror Story," and I was like, "Asylum." Yes, I was like, kind of, sure. but like that's not her fucking story. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was also Thank set you. in a completely different time frame. It was set in like the sixties. I know. Like, okay, um, whatever. <laughs> yes, okay, sure, her. But one last connection that I want to make is that of Marie and Harlem Renaissance queen Zora Neale Hurston. Okay. So before she wrote Their Eyes Were Watching God, Zora traveled to New Orleans as a journalist to study voodoo culture and Marie Laveau. Apparently, she was initiated by laying on Marie Laveau's nephew's couch in the nude for 69 hours without food or water. It's like Kate Winslet. <laughs> What? In Titanic. Draw me with just Oh. <laughs> Except this is like torture. She claims to have had five psychic experiences during this spiritual journey. And she like learned like a whole, like just a ton of, you know, rituals. Like I think, I can't remember if I said this before. She learned like 18 rituals. She got really involved and she wrote a ton about Marie Laveau. And that's kind of how we know a lot of her story. Oh, okay. Is because she was on the front lines, like taking stories from people, like interviewing them again, talking to her nephew. Um, so I wish I could go on further about this. Um, but I just know that Zora Neale Hurston did a ton of research on Marie Laveau and voodoo culture in St. in New Orleans. So it's okay. really interesting. That's cool. Um, Unfortunately, Marie's home on St. Anne Street was demoed, but you can visit Marie Laveau's House of Voodoo when you go to New Orleans, located in one of Marie II's homes. But I would personally recommend going to the nearby Voodoo Museum. It has a lot of really cool artifacts on information on voodoo over the years. But, I mean, just I would really recommend just going to New Orleans in general. Go see the city that Marie loved, walk the streets she strutted on, and embrace the culture that she's so clearly influenced and that's the story of marie laveau <laughs> i love it it's good all right two times over two times over <laughs> um so yeah i think we need to talk about these two women in a little segment we like to call just the two of us okay the most bizarre thing if you have ever been confused about american history in your entire life is that they exist on the same timeline in the same fucking country. Isn't that wild? It's really crazy. And it intersecting to the point where Marie literally, like, Native Americans are being displaced, and she's like, you can come live on my fucking front lawn. Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, and just things that, and that's the whole thing about American history is I was, t- we were talking to um, Dr. Jamie Goodall about this. I had no idea like when pirates existed because I feel like pirates, cowboys, Native American, like, you know, they're separate. They're all separate to me and they're not, you know, like these things existed in the same time. And it's the thing where I need to check my privilege in Mm -hmm. my head because when I hear Marie Laveau's story, I'm like, oh, a city. Oh, New Orleans. Like, yeah, I understand that. And Mm -hmm. then I think there's things like um, Buffalo Calf Road Woman um, and it's like, well, that was so long ago, but really she was born 40 years after yeah. Marie Lavelle. Yeah. They were, they lived at the same time. It's insane. And she was younger than her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. It's really crazy. And, and it goes to show you like all the, like New Orleans was a busy metropolis for years and years. And then we were still slaughtering Native Americans. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, I feel like, again, we think of these things as separate and also talking about white privilege i want to take a moment to talk about the fact that we only consider history what white people reported on oh perfect you know what i'm saying yeah and i feel like oral traditions were such a big part of both of our stories and but it's not respected right and i just feel like that is such a thing of like well you know, that doesn't really matter to us because like this is how I saw it. And like mm-hmm. personal view and bias has shaped the history that we know today and that we're taught today. And it's inc- it's incredible because you can have like oral tradition is so cool to the point that somebody will be like, oh, a hundred years ago, my chief told me not to say this and you still believe it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're like, you know, present present day, somebody tells a news story and you're like fake news. It's like, I totally believe your oral tradition, but I do not want you telling me in the newspaper. No, exactly. And I also kind of kept thinking about how we lump non-white people into these large categories and we don't care to see the differences between them. How, you know, we're like, oh, all voodoo is the same, you know, and they're like, oh, actually, we developed these practices over generations and they're malleable because they have to be because we've all been colonized so many fucking times. Yeah. And with the Native Americans, it's like, you're all Indian. So let's just put you on the same reservoir and not care about the longstanding history that existed before we came. And we'll just put you in one place. And like, we have different food. We have different traditions. We have different family structures. Like, what the fuck? I, I wrote down the overhaul of America. Yeah. It was just like, let's turn this over. We're just going to toss the salad, get them out of here, get rid of what we don't want. Exactly. I mean, it's literally, instead of making it a fucking salad or gumbo, they're making it a melting pot of like, you will acclimate mm-hmm. and assimilate to our way of thinking and our way of life. I mean, we've talked before about the Native American boarding schools that happened because Again, kill the Indian, save the man was their practice. They wanted to completely eradicate their culture. Yeah, I also wrote down beauty, and I know it wasn't a part of Buffalo Road Catwoman's story, but a couple of weeks ago, I posted a link and like a, um, it was like a, uh, not, yeah, it was a BuzzFeed. Mm -hmm. And it was like the, uh, 25 most beautiful women from the last 100 years. Mm-hmm. And I posted like some pictures on Instagram and Twitter and this, that, and the other. And then 
I went back and edited it because I was like, this is the 25 most beautiful women from the last hundred years. Not a one single person is black. What? There were Asian How women. How is that even possible? White women, Native American women, ethnic women, oh, like so many white women and and people of other like backgrounds and cultures. Not one single black woman. Not one. And it's like, cover your hair. Put your wrap on. Get out of my face. You're a witch. I don't want you. I don't want your culture. And it's disgusting. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is it's easy for like us as like two, again, like middle class white people to be like, no, no, it's just because they're afraid because they're too powerful. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's easy, I think, for us to, which is true, is that is the reason. I mean, from what I understand of it, but like also we can't deny that there was just an innate hatred. Oh, of yeah. black women and again like the power that they held but i keep thinking about the fact that you know we have these laws that were meant to stifle the beauty of black women because that's just the thing is like white men didn't like how powerful and beautiful they were and so it did become this kind of Oh, wait, wait, no, pump the brakes on that. And I'm going to make you wear this or I'm going to make you do that. And they still found ways around it to, again, influence shit all the way to the top, which and, I think is incredible. And also polluted the heads of white women in telling them that certain features are more attractive. Yeah. Like and that goes into the hair politics we it talked does. about earlier, because I was I I was talking to a producer when I put the list up and I was like, I don't know how Josephine Baker didn't make the list. God. How? Seriously. How does she not? And then today on our Instagram, I posted about Hazel Scott, and I was just looking at pictures of her, and I was like, she's fucking beautiful. How could you say she's not one of the most beautiful women of the last 100 years? If you're going to have 10 white women, two Asian women, a couple Native American women, it's like, what what are you doing even? Right. Well, it's also like... Who checked that list? Who checked that list? Also, should we even be, like, making lists like that anymore? I don't, like... You know what I'm saying? Like, who's judge of beauty? Yeah. Like, I don't know. But I have the beholder, Katie. I have BuzzFeed. <laughs> I have BuzzFeed. <laughs> Which um, I love BuzzFeed. Also, I use you a lot yeah. and you're great. But like, get, check your get shit. It together. There's no black women on your list of pretty people. And that's rude. <laughs> well, and I was also thinking about how these women survive through memory and storytelling and, you know, something again, like like we were talking about that we don't holding high context um and that they were also and like but the fact that memory changes and it adapts Mm. you know what i'm saying and it tries to fit your agenda so i think about the fact that buffalo calf woman to the people that supported her it was like yeah she was an amazing majestic woman wielding a sword with a baby on her back but if you were to ask like one of the white soldiers or like, you know, fucking Custer. It'd be like she was a a crazed, you know, like angry woman. Right. Who was out of control. And it speaks to a lot, a lot to American. Like she shouldn't have been a mother. Yeah. It speaks to American culture that we were, we Native Americans were scared of retribution. So they didn't say that a woman killed Custer. Yeah. They were like, we can't say that. Yeah. We, if we say that, that's like, oh, my God, that's their biggest general and a woman knocked him yeah. off his horse. Yeah. 
And so it speaks a lot to both cultures understanding the inferiority of women, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. I don't know, Katie. I don't know. <laughs> this well, is wild. Again, as usual, talking about things outside of our <laughs> comfort zones. Comfort zone, but great. Obviously, Native that's, American culture. Yeah. <laughs> we can do it. We got um, it. <laughs> are you ready to toast? I'm ready. <laughs> Who would you like to toast? So I want to toast to the forgotten pieces of us mm. and to the forgotten history and the forgotten pieces of our ethnicity, which I think is even more potent because of Marie's mixed ancestry. Yes. So there are many forgotten women who will never get recognized for their incredible achievements. We are lucky that the Cheyenne tribe has kept this oral tradition and that people know, but not Everybody has that same exact luxury. Yeah. Um, especially cheers to Native American women mm. or Native women all over the world who were forced to succumb to ethnic cleansings yeah. to the fact that their story was erased not only because their culture minimized them, but also because another culture minimized them. It's like double sexism. And I just want to cheers to those people who have been erased because – Maybe more of them killed custard. <laughs> I want to know Cheers. who you are. More custard death. Who you got? I'm going to toast the women who are so powerful that they are forced to be knocked down a couple pegs. Basically, women who are doing good shit but have a bad rap. Same toast. <laughs> same, same toast. Same toast. <laughs> um, just because I feel like when we think of Marie Laveau, we think of voodoo and evil and snakes, and we don't think of prison reform and healing. And I think that's a mistake on our part, kind of how we don't remember people like Buffalo Calfwoman. Right. So cheers to cheers to bad women who do good shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Okay, so... In 2010, I birthed a child, and The Hunger Games came out. Ooh. So, just now, the prequel to The Hunger Games book came out, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins, and it is wonderful. I feel like I need to go back and read The Hunger Games again. You might, but I think it's separate enough that you're Fine. Okay. It's kind of like Fantastic Beasts where there's like minimal, okay. minimal, like, like stuff you need to know. Right. Okay. Um, President Snow's the main character, but as a child, and Ooh. he's like the good guy. Ooh, and it's just showing his journey from childhood to being the head of the capital and like destroying Panem. And it is just so good it shows the tale of corruption it shows the tale of privilege it shows the tale of like revolution and how people are just misinterpreted and how like something in in the the story i'm reading now like the hunger games is so small and insignificant and he is slowly growing it to something that's big and powerful and scary and it's i 
Suzanne Collins could not have done a better job after she followed up her story with a revolution to back it up and be like, this is how we got there 70 years before that. Right. So fucking good. Mm. Lots of snakes. That's why I said that earlier. Snakes are involved in my promo. But it's really good. And it's not like. There's no like purposeful like name calling of like. Right. And then. I saw a primrose. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just literally President Snow's yeah. story as a child. Cool. And it's so fucking cool. And it's on Audible. So you can go and get it for free from us. With com. Damn it. Audibletrial.com slash, slash herstory. That's where I got it because I get my credits every month. I get a, because I pay monthly. Yeah. I get a free book every mm. month. So great. Such so a good deal. This was my free book for June and I'm almost done and now I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> and if you use our link, you can get a free book. Yeah. And then you don't even have to like. Free 30 for, days yeah. and a free, free book. Free 30 days. So it's really great. And there's also some free shit on there. So while you're on there for the free 30 days, check it out. But also just for the sake of this promo if you don't want to do audible just fucking buy the book and read it yeah true that yeah so <laughs> i'm going to promo something that brings fiance and i great great joy <laughs> uh, especially in these <laughs> stressful times of buying our house setting up the house cleaning the old apartment you know all that shit quarantine black lives matter exactly it's all a whole thing it is house hunters international okay it is my favorite favorite like cheesy hgtv whatever show it is ridiculous the people on there have just different purposes they're in different locations every episode but they're all the same because typically they've already bought their house and they're just doing it for the show right and i love it it's just it's very relaxing like Casey and I typically will watch an hour drama and then two hours of a sitcom every night. That's like our thing. Mm-hmm. We were up until midnight watching House Hunters International on accident last night because <laughs> it just keeps rolling and the people are so ridiculous. I love that. So just go. It's a really great place to just, I don't know, kind of itch your real estate itch <laughs> if, if you're not looking for a house. travel itch so yeah it's just really fun and i highly recommend it you just zone out to it and it's lovely i love that um, so yes, really easy it. watching um so that's it so thank you for listening find us we love you talk to us find us we're absolutely hearse around the rocks everywhere everywhere you can find us it'll be yes. there if you just type it into google it's oh my gosh all that the comes first up ones now that come up. we have the first ones that come up all the way down the list. Absolutely. The whole for, you you don't even have to click on the second O. Nope. We're on I mean Herstory, LinkedIn, Podcasts, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And we just want you to know before we leave that well behaved women carry a pack of band aids with them wherever they go. Absolutely. And they rarely make history. Never ever. Goodbye. Goodbye. to her.
your story on the rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.